Hello, Maxine Tima'a Kavithid Kamraig, Ryan and Rob. Hi, Maxine here, Ryan and Rob's Welsh translator. The Chin Grando are Podlidiad Newid, Fearless in Devotion. You're listening to Fearless in Devotion, a new podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions. Raise your voices to the anthem. Marching like a mighty army. Wrexham is the name. Choice on all to fearless in devotion after the first game back with fans. Uh, most of us were there. Three of us were there. Andy couldn't make it up from London this time. But um, let's start off with you, Tim. What what did you do make of it? Yeah, it was special, wasn't it? It was just nice to be back. And I don't know, it was the same but different. Didn't feel like I'd been away as long as it has been. It was just really, really good. Really good atmosphere um, for the most part anyway. Really, really good first half performance. Dipped a little bit. Um, second half that's probably to be expected the sort of level of shift they put in so soon after the Eastleigh game so yeah um, on the whole pleased with the on-pitch stuff there's a few question marks of the stuff going off off the pitch but it seemed to uh, in terms of the cues and stuff that seemed to be well managed there's people guiding people to the right turnstiles and trying to make sure there's no bottlenecks and stuff so yeah um like, like people have already alluded to, there's there's plenty of teething problems that need to be ironed out and things to be worked on. But if we just focus on the on the playing side of things, then you know it's it's more and more encouragement, and you know it's an unbeaten start to the season at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely, Andy. You were watching it from the comfort of your North London palace um, with all your new Labour cronies. What did you make of it? Uh, me and Diane Abbott really enjoyed it. Thanks for asking. She had, she had a gin. Um, look, I think we had enough chances, but the midfield was parting too easily for me. I don't think there was anyone really controlling it in the middle. Jordan Davis took a while to get into the game. Um, you almost wanted someone to drop back and go, right, no, we're, we're, you know, we're going to stop. We're going to stop the county attacks and we're going to sort of direct people the other way. And I think... I think Young's a very willing runner, but you you almost need someone to tell him where to run. I think you need someone to sit in the middle and say, "Right, you're going there, Jordan. Go make this run here. I'll find you." Someone like I know we keep saying Brad Walker. There must be other good defensive midfielders out there. We might even sign one later later today. But if you get that person in, I think that is probably the last piece of the puzzle to make this team a genuine title threat. Apart from that, though. Um, I thought Tyler Flinch did very well down the right-hand side. Yeah, I did. thought Mullin and Hyde would be a massive nuisance. Mm. I just hope they can play every game. And I think Hayden just gets better and better each time I see him. Yeah. Um, some really good standout performances. And as we, well, we, not just us, everyone's been saying it, I think, for, for months, uh, really, about the lack of a central defensive midfielder. Liam, anyway, you're our roving reporter joining us. Where are you joining us from? I'm joining you from the delightful confines of Broughton Shopping Park in Flintshire. Oh, lovely. Well, you've had a bit of time to reflect on the game. What did you make of what you saw? First and foremost, it was just how special it was to be back, really. Um, I was under the Mould Road concourse before the game, and the place was just absolutely bouncing. People singing the new uh, Paul Mullins song. Um, And in terms of on the pitch, I know people 
you know the old there's the old criticism here and there but I've I thought in terms of on the pitch I was really encouraged by what I saw given how little game time they've had together really because it's still a squad under construction right as we're speaking now but you can see players like Hayden players like Mullen you can tell they're from a league or two above they've just got that bit of class to them you're in a shopping center Wrexham uh, are in something of a virtual shopping centre today. It's nearly seven o'clock, so they've got four or five hours left to make uh, some signings. And obviously, we've already just signed Bryce Hosanna right back. Seems promising, Tim. I can't. I don't know much about him, but it seems to be have good reviews. Yeah, I think I had a quick uh, look at his Wikipedia page for wherever that's worth these days. I think he's made eight appearances um, of, of some description. So. I mean, whichever way you look at it, you know, he's, was he 22? Signed a decent deal here. Um, he's dropped several divisions to get first in football. A gap's opened up for him in light of Reese Hall Johnson's injury. So I expect him to take, you know, sort of grasp the nettle and really, really go for it. And again, once, once Reese is back, there's, there's competition in, in that, in that particular area of the field as well. So we were getting, we're getting the depth to the squad, whether that was something they initially planned for before all the injuries is a different matter, but the depth is coming along. Leeds fans seem to think he's a decent acquisition. Yeah. Uh, and and we wait and see. He's got, he's got, he's got pace to burn and he's, he's pretty, pretty decent cross of the ball. And that's all any of us can ask for really, but yeah, happy days. Another one in through the door. I think it's our 10th one, 10th new one. So, might get a couple more by by the time this goes out. A bit of luck. Yeah, let's hope so, and let's hope for that midfield signing that we're all uh, very very keen for. And a word as well for Max Clayworth or Clayworth, BT Sport were pronouncing it. I have no idea, but um, I thought he played well. Yes, he may have let Wooden slip for the goal, possibly, but you know he is one of the best centre forwards in the division. And I thought, generally speaking, he looked really comfortable at home, which was good. Um, Anyway, we went for a drink at uh, a certain establishment, didn't we, Tim and Liam, before the game? Which one was that and what makes it the greatest place in the world? It was the boar that is often fat down on York Street. Um, we had a lovely chat with the proprietor, Mr Richard Watkin, before Great our man. food. Through our food. And, um, and, and to be fair to Rich, he also um, stopped me from potentially getting a good thrashing from Barry Horn after I dared call him miserable on the uh, on Twitter the other day which he was so you know <laughs> it was very loving but I didn't want him to come out swinging for me so all was good but yes thank you to our wonderful sponsors for feeding us until we wanted no more yes indeed we are Freelance in Devotion the Wrexham podcast sponsored by the Fat Boar uh, and we've got a fantastic guest lined up for you today, uh, a Welsh international, one of Wrexham's greatest products of recent times, without a doubt. And much funnier than we all uh, thought, I think. I didn't know much about his character, but funny, funny guy. So we really hope you enjoy this chat with Neil Taylor.
Well, we're delighted this week to be joined by one of Wrexham's most successful products of recent times. Uh, this youngster joined Wrexham as a 16-year-old after leaving Manchester City's youth system. Uh, he signed his first professional contract at the club in 2007 and made 75 appearances over around three years. I am, of course, talking about left-back Neil John Taylor. Neil, welcome to the podcast. How are we? You okay? Very well, thank you. Um, I didn't mention then, actually, Neil, that you scored, you've scored four goals in your career and three of them were for Wrexham. So surely you can remember all of them. Oh, yeah, I can remember all of them, yeah. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day about my CV and they were like, in the last nine, ten years, it's been one goal and five red cards. <laughs> it doesn't look great, to be honest. But um, I think, yeah, I, de- I definitely remember all of them. It's not hard to, is it? But um, <laughs> I, well, I certainly remember one. Oh. There's one Neil Tail goal I definitely remember. Yeah. The Russia one. Yeah. 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 It's not Gray's away, you know, in my last Wrexham game, not that one. <laughs> we were gonna we were gonna talk of about course. That. <laughs> two, two brought and knocked it down to you. I mean it's etched on all our souls. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Neil, why don't we start quickly right at the beginning? Um you started off with Man City. H- how was that? Yeah, so I basically, well, people know, obviously, now I'm talking about North Wales. Normally when I talk about this, it's like, nobody's got a clue where I'm on about. But I, so I grew up in Riffin, obviously, and the, the local teams there didn't really branch out too much at the time back then in terms of playing games with kids and stuff. And my school teacher at the time, Brian Lloyd, who was a big influence on me at school, um, in Riffin, bring up his school. He, um, he basically said, you know, why don't you go and play a bit further afield at clubs that play at, at British Aerospace, you know, in Broughton. So, uh, so I went to Mold Alex, I think it was at the time, and the coach there sort of branched off, and he went just going over to Munavissa. Um, so I sort of followed him, went to play for Munavissa, um, and then that's where I was picked up by uh, by Man City, Liverpool, Man City, sort of half scouted me at the same time from the same tournament. I think I probably was about seven at the time, um, and then yeah, and then Man City. I think probably just I was a Liverpool fan, so I'm thinking, wow, Liverpool, but. Man City, I think, just moved quicker and they got me in for a trial and, and signed me. So, uh, yeah, I went there from the age of seven, which people who know North Wales will know that's a pretty long trip from Riffin to, to uh, Moss Lane in Manchester from the age of seven up to about the age of 15, to be honest. So, um, yeah, that, that's how I ended up at Man City and, and went up to the banks there. And obviously then you, you left then and went to, to, to join Wrexham, uh, the youth um, uh, set up there. In in terms of you mentioned you're a Liverpool fan, were, did you follow Wrexham at all? Were they part of your local team, or were you just fully Liverpool? Yeah, I know Wrexham. Wrexham are the local team that everyone follows, but I think everybody in North Wales, right? It's got two teams, so it's like. Um, <laughs> so I think yeah, you either you either Everton United, Liverpool, or City, and yeah. then or maybe Tramia, and then you've got. <laughs> um, so I think yeah. So but Liverpool, my brother sport of CD, he was nine years older than me, so I sort of yeah. had no choice. It was drilled in. My dad's a West Ham fan, so. But yeah, that yeah. was the Liverpool link. And and how was the how did you find the youth setup at Wrexham? Do you know what at the time it was really, really good. Um I came in at sort of 15, 16, and I was similar to quite a lot of other lads that had been probably in at Liverpool or been in at some of the bigger clubs in the Northwest. Uh sort of came back. I had the option between Wrexham and Crew at the time, I think it was. Um and I just decided to go for my nearest club. I just thought I'd, I'd sort of had enough of travelling. I'd Felt a little bit bad on my parents, to be honest, as well. At the same time, they'd they'd done all that and then got turned around and got told I'd been released at 15. Might have been a kick in the teeth for them. All the years they'd done 
putting the hard work in. So I think, yeah, I just wanted to go to Wrexham and, and I went there and there was really big influential figures there for me. Um, sort of had a s- small trial there and then was offered um, a YTS, um, which which was obviously great. And at the time we're talking about, we're talking about a League One football club. So still a substantial team at the time. Sorry, just to cut across, Reese. when you say about substantial figures there, do you mean uh, uh, Mr. Joseph Jones? Yeah, obviously I, I've, I've talked about how, how big an influence he is in my career. We could talk about him as much as you want, but um, yeah, especially when I went into my youth team years, for him to be somebody that, you know, I, I probably didn't know too, too much at the time, but he was, he was a massive figure to obviously the older generation of people were telling about Joey playing for Liverpool and when he played for Wrexham and Chelsea and the stories and that. A little bit, didn't really, you know, obviously we were Welsh as well and I was in the Wales setup at the same time, sort of Victory Shield age. and So there was a connection there for sure. But um, yeah, he went on to be a big influence on me, but not, not just him. I'm on about when I went into the youth team in terms of first team footballers that were there at the time had also had terrific careers. And yeah, it was, it was a good time for me. And the, and the youth team then, I'm, prob- I'm probably the cut-off age now of people that did the youth team era properly um, in terms of how we did it and the bit of grounding we got and all the work we had to do and the horrible stuff and the uh, some of the stuff you can't repeat. But I think we were the last generation that I think that they really had a good upbringing in, in football. Wow, that's interesting to hear. I mean... You mentioned the players that stood out to you when you were there in League One. You know, who was it that you looked up to? People like Darren Ferguson, those kinds of players? Yeah, so like, just because obviously back then, what's different now as well is as a youth team, we were in with the first team in the same building. Obviously, everyone knows Collier's Park. It's one small building. We've got a change room on the right. The middle's the resis. The left is sort of the first team. And what you're trying to do in your career is work your, work your way along the, uh, the changing rooms. And I think you're just in there and in amongst it. Back then, we had to clean the balls, we had to clean boots. You know, the bibs had to be right, the balls had to be pumped up properly, change rooms had to be clean. And if they weren't, all of them first team lads would let you know. But I think just being in and around it and watching them, Daz Ferguson's, Brian Carey's, them sort of people that, you know, hardened pros who did things properly. Um, Mark Jones was a terrific player back then to watch. Um, and then you obviously had the Trinidad influence who was great to have around the training ground at the time. So there was, a, there was just, honestly, there was just a really, really good blend uh, throughout everybody at that time and had a good time in the LDV, obviously, as well. Yeah. Uh, and you signed your first professional contract, I think it was 2007. So who, who would have been in charge then? Who was involved with, with signing you up? Um, so basically Dennis Smith. I think Dennis Smith would have been the one that, um, he sort of got a couple of us involved. So in our second year of YTS, obviously we were under Joey Jones and Steve Weaver and Steve Cooper at the time. Again, all you know, Steve Cooper obviously gone on to do really well in coaching, and Steve Weaver as well. Um, everyone knows about Stuart Weber at Norwich. So we're talking about a good era of people that um, were in and around the football club in terms of the academy, the setup, and everything. Um, and then Dennis Smith just used to take a few of us along for first team games, you know, make the tees, you know, <laughs> make sure everything like that was done properly. Yeah. Um, and we went to a few FA Cup games, which was great, being like 18, hmm. 17, 18 at St Andrews and FA Cup games and carrying water bottles, but still being there and feeling it was, uh, was great. So I'd say Dennis Smith was probably the first one. Um, and then obviously then you go into the, the Brian Little and the Dean Saunders eras and stuff. Of course. And I, I think I'm right in saying that uh, you made your debut coming off the bench for Avion Williams uh, in that Villa match team, obviously you'd later go on to, to play for um, when we lost 5-0 in the League Cup. Is that right? 
Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so I remember, I think it was actually Young and Sean Sh- Maloney who played on the wings that day. And I just came on. I was just buzzing to be on. Again, again, Adrian Williams talking about somebody who had an established career, really good career actually through the leagues. Um, so again, there was a lot of them in and around me um, during that period. Established pros, Neil Roberts, people like that. Um, they just had a big influence. And I think, yeah, making the debut, I can't remember loads about it. I can remember the kids that we were wearing. I remember it being frantic and blowing out my ass after five minutes, to be honest. But I think, um, yeah, it's the best 5 0 loss I've ever had. I can put it that way. <laughs> It's a big I, crowd as well. I, I was it? at that game. Yeah, I was at, mm. I was in that crowd. It was mm. uh, I think for the first half they they played it about quite quite nicely and it was like a, a team that carried brought together. It was just gelling and every, everyone really had big hopes for Avian Williams especially. So a big uh, a Bangal lad, but second half. Uh, then then Neil Neil came play. on and ruined it. <laughs> exactly. It was it was only 1-0 until Neil came on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, like, basically, all I can remember from that game is just seeing Sean Maloney and thinking, wow, this is. I don't, I don't know why it was him and so good in that game. He was obviously he was very well thought of as a, as a young lad. I think Sean Maloney at Villa and place like that. But mm. him in the game and just thinking, wow, that's that's the level. That's what people have to get to. His, his touch, his turn, his vision, everything was just quicker than what I'd even seen at our training mm. ground. I think, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. And. We obviously this is a time then when Wrexham are having a pretty horrible sort of just just felt like an awful sort of slide down the leagues. But you weren't you weren't um, getting too much of a looking look in. I think at this time under under Brian Carey, and then obviously Brian Little came in, um, and I think I'm right in saying, if my memory serves me correctly, that um, he came in and pretty quickly spotted you and, and Wes Baines actually, and brought you straight in as youngsters and going, I want these as left back and right back. Is that, is that how you remember it? Yeah, I think they, um, I think they have pretty opposing views. Like Brian Carey was great for me and he was really good to me actually brought me in and brought me out of the team and stuff. And he said, listen, we're having a tough time. Um, I try, I try to protect young players at this time and don't put them out in front. Cause again, we're still talking about a Wrexham crowd that's pretty much full every week. Mm. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the depleted crowds. You're playing in front of proper crowds, and Rex is probably one of the biggest throughout the leagues, anyway. So, um, yeah, Brian Carey will sort of take you out of the spotlight a little bit now and again. So you're in and out, but Brian Little just sort of went the other way with it. He said, "Listen, I don't think I don't think kids play with much fear um, like maybe the older pros do." So he obviously seen something in me and Wes, and and that probably accelerated my career a little bit playing under him mm. uh, for Exeter in terms of getting appearances in, but. In terms of that time for the football club, yeah, with the whole administration and everything around the place and people losing their jobs and that, tough, tough time. And obviously when you're 18, you don't really take it in, what it means and stuff, because you're not earning loads of money yourself anyway, do you know what I mean? So you don't really understand mm. what people losing jobs is like now, being able to look back. I think it's, yeah. uh, it was a massive thing. It's tough and obviously still, we're still in the conference now, which is, which is horrible. Yeah, I was just going to ask about Brian Little because he's—he's—I'll be honest—he's not a person we've discussed much on this pod, and we've gone through back, you know, for the last twenty years of history, pretty forensically. I mean, I can remember him when he first came came in, and I, I don't know if he actually underestimated the job or underestimated what he needed to do. You know, being an ex sort of Villa manager, managing that that top level, and then coming down to Wrexham, I, I just wonder if he just sort of thought his. You know, it's just his experience would carry him through and he wouldn't really have to put in the hard graft. I don't know what you thought about that and what you thought about his tenure. 
No, I don't think in terms of hard graft, it was definitely there. Um, I mean, I've been at Villa now for obviously four, been at Villa for four and a half years, and he's absolutely adored up here. But I think in terms of it's a little bit like football lads. I've got to be honest with you, right? When you play higher up with better players, it's easier. Um, and then the lower down you play with players who aren't as good, then it's a slog every week. And that's how the leagues are. It's how football is in general. I think it's also the same for managers. You know, when you're having to manage players who probably aren't as good as what you've been used to, it's a little bit difficult. And I think he also, I know from speaking to him since I've been at Villa that he had a lot off the pitch to deal with. I obviously, again, talking about an 18, 19 year old, I didn't realise what he's going through at the time and having to deal with off the pitch. And I think some of the senior pros at the time might have let him down a little bit as well. And I think he just, it was a massive, massive job. And he decided, listen, I'm going to go with the young lads. I'm going to inject some fresh energy in people. And maybe he may, might have upset a few of the older pros or whatever. Uh, sometimes when you get an upset dressing room, maybe then it's a recipe for disaster. But I wouldn't look back on that time with Brian Little as saying, I think he let the club down and was poor. Um, his actual knowledge of football and how he treated the players, man management-wise, I thought was was really good. Actually, it was just it was a really bad time for the club. Yeah, it was, and and from that time, from what I remember, just so many players. It just seemed like it was a revolving door. Every January, we'd get like a new ten players in. We kind of. The the method we tried to stay in the league was just to 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 try and start again every transfer window. Did, did it feel like that for you? Just lots of different faces coming in. Yeah, it didn't, and it felt like we had a lot of different owners. To be honest, it felt like you know somebody somebody kept somebody injected money from somewhere in um, yeah. another business room from Riffin had to go for a little while, didn't he? Um, after taking over Jeff yeah. Moss and stuff, and it just it just seems to be you know new people would come over thinking this is a massive football club. I can turn around and get it right. So they come in, bit of money gets spent. <laughs> You know, we give money to people again, maybe older pros, too much money or whatever. I don't know. Um, I certainly love the older pros, but looking back now, that might have been the view of some of the managers. And I think, um, and I think, yeah, it just it just doesn't work. That constant turnover of owners, managers, and players is is never going to work. And, and but the administration overall, you know, you know, as players, when that's hanging over your head at a football club, um, and the possibilities of point deductions and everything that's going on. Just made it. Just made it really, really difficult. Yeah. So obviously, we get relegated. Um, you've established yourself at this point as a as a stalwart in the side. Really, um, you know, how did you find the start? Because I think, I think uh, uh, an anniversary of that first our first game in the conference came up this week um, when we beat Stevenage Borough five nil at home. I think all of us thought, "Hey, this is going to be really easy," <laughs> and yeah. it, it just really wasn't, was it? No, exactly, yeah. I think everyone was thinking, yeah, we've been getting beat all last season. Maybe this is the better way to drop down the league and win them all. But um, <laughs> yeah. no, it 100% wasn't like that. And, and again, you're talking about a league as well where half of them are part-time and you're looking at a club like football who are, uh, like Wrexham who are full-time and you're thinking, this has got to be, you know, we've got to, we've got to get out of this league as a football club. Look at the facilities we've got, good players we've got. You know, you go and visit teams like Histon and that, they're part-time, players are late because they're working and you're thinking, this is crazy compared to last year. But, and then you still get turned over. You know what I mean? And it's like, um, it's a completely different kettle of fish. And I think it was tough. I mean, I remember when we got relegated, I believe it was Hereford away, I think. Yeah. Uh, it was a moment where we knew. Just uh, and, and it only sticks in my head that game. So I just remember the feeling around the dressing room and everybody. And, mm. and again, like I said, just being a young lad, you're just trying to take it all in. You don't really know what it means in terms of, you know, I'm thinking I've played the whole season. I think I've had a half decent season. I just want to keep playing, keep playing. Um, you recognise that your money's going to go down. Again, I'm not on a lot of money. 
But also, I'm not somebody who has a mortgage. I wasn't somebody who had kids. I wasn't somebody who had responsibilities. So it maybe doesn't affect me like it did some of the older people. Um, mm. Looking back now, obviously, I've got massive realization of what it does to the club in general. So the first season when they come when they come down, um, I'm, I'm, am I right in thinking that you were made captain pretty early into into that season? Was it like a couple of months in? It might have only just been one game there, but um. What, how did that sort of come about? Was that a complete shock to you or did you see it sort of coming on the cards at all? No, it was a complete shock to me. Um, it was Dean Saunders that did it. So he came in as manager. Um, I think he did the famous first up interview, didn't he, of this club has been losing and losing for two years and three years and losing's got to stop. It becomes a habit. And this, it was a, um, you know, he really riled everybody up and got the club going a little bit. Um, and it worked to an extent, and I don't know why, and I can't remember exactly the times, but after a couple of weeks, um, he did ask me to be captain. And I mean, we're talking about a change room here with loads of established older pros, Ashley Westwood at centre-half, who's played for Man United. And, you know, I was just like, there were players like that who probably should have been better picked over me. And looking back, it was probably a horrific decision, but I had it for three games, got injured on the third game, actually, because I started playing centre midfield then as well. Um, I got injured. I think me being me again, I've dived into a tackle with a Berry centre-half and, and got injured, come off worse. But um, yeah, he gave it me for three games. And the maddest thing about it was, I tell people now, they can't believe it, but I had to take the warm-up before games. So I was 19, 20 maybe, and I'm having to, I'm shitting myself about taking a warm-up before the game, let alone how, how I'm going to play. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm thinking there's lads here played in the Prem and Championship and I've got to tell them how to warm up. You know, I'm thinking just <laughs> jog across the box, little stretch, like open the gate, whatever, right, lads. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to remember everything our sports scientists have done over the years. So, um, mm. but yeah, little things like that were just crazy, obviously doing the captain's toss and all that. I'm, I'm 19 at the time, but I think, I don't know. I, I, I've always been so, I was just desperate to be a footballer. Lads. I think that maybe that energy rubbed off and people thought it made me a bit of a leader and but I don't know I, I don't know you probably have to ask Dino Were you captain for Dino's first game? I think it was Forest Green away wasn't it? We had a comeback and won 3-2 or did yeah. you not count? Yeah so I think the, the three games it was that one hmm. um, it might have been York and then I might have played I might have been Berry and got injured I might be wrong here because I think I scored hmm. in the York game because I mean cause I, it's, it's a running joke with Joey now Joey's my best mate Joe Allen and I tell him I was his captain so I'm forever his captain <laughs> <laughs> of course because he played in the York game didn't he yeah 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 yeah. so um, he had some great stories actually I think I think Dino drove him from South Wales to North Wales so he had four hours of Dino in the car which is brilliant I think but he's um, oh my god yeah, so I, tell him, I tell him that uh, I tell him that I, I, was his, I was his best ever captain brilliant that, well you might not know Neil but throughout this podcast one of the it's almost become like the Dean Saunders rehabilitation podcast because basically every player we've had on has yeah. absolutely loved playing under Dean Saunders. Uh, what is it about him for you that that obviously you obviously you feel the same? Yeah, listen, I mean, it, it's a story a day. That's the reason. It's, it's never a dull moment. Um, he's got bags of stories, which is why he's an after-dinner speaker, I guess. Um, and I think... You know, and, and then obviously again you're talking about people you look up to you know this guy's done it at the highest highest level when you're in the lower league you're just sort of loving it and that but some of his and we're quite similar in that extent I don't know why that's maybe why he's seen something in me or whatever but I've got a bit of a dry sense of humour as well and I could be quite cutting and, that, and that's exactly what Dino was right but um, yeah there's, there's some amazing shouts down the years he's had but 
overall, I mean, we, we'd be playing a five-a-side on that. You know, obviously, Dino made a bit of money in his career playing a five-a-side. He'd say, right, the winning team gets my car for a week, you know, stuff like that. would be like, fuck <laughs> it, Dino, do you know what I mean? And he was like, and he, but it's like him and Brian were a double act, Brian Kerry, because Brian would be laughing all the time. Um, but he'd, he'd be shouting over, Brian, which car shall I give him? You see my drive, which car shall I give him? And it's just, he's only laughing, he's only taking the piss, but Brian's laughing, obviously. And then we're all laughing. I remember, um, I think I remember uh, Grand National was on, so I had to do the whip round once. And I went, so I'm doing a five or a man, whatever, this, uh, going down the bus. Yeah, lads, pull out of the hat, whatever. I think Dino must have pulled what looked like to me at the time about a grand out of his pocket. And he was like, he was like, will this be enough? It's been enough tells or whatever. He's laughing again. Dino's laughing. Brian's laughing. And I've gone, fuck it. It's a fiver, Dino, right? Okay. He's, he's laughing, but he's giving me it. He's took a horse. Um, but on the same side of that, he was so generous. He was so great. After games, sometimes we'd win. Um, and even though we want to get home because we're, you know, the arse end of nowhere away, Ebsfleet or something, we, we're stopping for a Chinese. So we've ordered Chinese for 30 people. Uh, so we've got to wait for that. Um, but he'd order that on. He'd get beers and stuff. So, he was, he was ultra generous with it, to be fair. And he always looked after the lads. Well, I remember, didn't he give Mark, uh, Mark Williams 100 quid for scoring against Forest Green and said he was going to give him 100 quid per goal or something out of his own cash? Yeah, exactly. He would be like that. He would be like that, honestly. And that's, that's just how he was. Um, but also, if you weren't doing it, Christ almighty. Um, Danny Ward's actually got a funny... Danny Ward's got a funny one. Whenever he sees me down corridors in the hotels, and he just shouts, Neil! Like that, just so it, just to remind me of Dino shouting across the pitch when I'm doing so wrong. But, uh, <laughs> but it was like, yeah, you, you would get it. Do you know what I mean? You'd hundred percent get it. But what you loved about him is he was just all football. He loved it. He absolutely loved football. He wanted us to do well. He was desperate for Wrexham to do well, um, and he had unbelievable knowledge as well about the game. And <clears throat> if you're going to ask me if a manager has ever put work into it, he put work into it. And the only reason I know is because. I, I, when I was at 19, maybe 12, 20 I'd be now, I started coaching the under 10s, under 11s at Wrexham. Um, I got involved because I wanted to do my B licence. The only reason I was doing my B licence because when you coach, I think you get an extra £2 an hour or something. So I was like, let's get it done. Do you know what I mean? But, um, and I'd be there in the evening. I'd go back in the evenings and Dino's car would still be there. I'd see it at Collier's Park. So we're talking about, I'd been in the morning training, gone home for the afternoon, back in the evening and he's still there whether he's coming out watching the kids or whether he's working or analysing or whatever he's doing, um, he'd still be there of an evening. And I think that gives you a good gauge of uh, how much he did put into it. Do you know what? You've gone over two of the things that are quite a good Dean Saunders tropes. One, how hard he is on people. Um, I, I, I keep coming, coming back to a thing when uh, I was in Altrincham and Silvio Spam was on the right wing and it was just 90 minutes of, <laughs> Silvio, stand there, go there. And I think other people, yeah, yeah, I think other people have said as well that he couldn't really understand why people weren't as good as him. And I do it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why, why can't you do this? I can do it. Why can't you do it? Yeah. Um, and, and I think the other thing that that has become quite apparent about about Dino is how much time and effort he put into it. There's another story about uh, Adrian Chislevich, who I think was a bit after you, about the time he used to put in with him on the training pitch. Like, come on, sis, run there, take the ball there, do this, do that. And then he used to see him on the on the pitch on Saturday and go, "You've not done any of that, have you?" And then he just used to shout, "Sis!" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, that, and and that was him. Yeah, he did. I mean, he put loads of work into his. I think he's seen, obviously, 
Sizz had loads of pace to burn. Um, so he was trying to sort of narrow it down into something. But I think, um, yeah, he was like that with everybody. He had time for everybody. He taught me a lot of things as well. Um, but if I didn't do it, I mean, you'd 100% be told about it. That's gone from football in general now. You know, um, I, I've just finished my A licence and I'm coaching a bit of Villa and 16s and that. And you've got to watch how you speak to people, what you say, the tone you say and everything. And, and all that I found brilliant as a young lad. I mean, from Dennis Smith to Brian Carey to everything like that. You know, I've watched Brian Carey and Darren Ferguson pin each other up in change rooms over wins and losses, you know. And I think that, that sort of grounding for me from them lads was was brilliant back then. Um, Adino was no different. And I just looked at him and thought, okay, well, if you played at the highest level and this is what you demand, then that's the demand. Do it. Do you know what I mean? So I think some people take it well, some people don't. But I think in general, and he, and he was able to manipulate the loan market pretty well as well. We got a lot of good people in from your Man Cities and teams like that um, that came to help us. And we were very unfortunate over the space of, well, the, the years that I played with him where we didn't go up and then, I think the subsequent years as well where the club got 90-odd points um, and didn't go up. I think all of them were a knock-on effect of, of a lot of hard work that Dino put in. You know what? You've mentioned the loan market and I think you've already mentioned him as well. But I think Joe Allen will probably go down as one of the best loanies we've ever had. And it's just a shame he only played a game and a half because what a talent he was, especially against York. Yeah, exactly. He was terrific. Um, obviously, he's been a roomie of mine at Wales for 15 years. So... I can't speak high enough of him and I think uh, yeah we were just very unfortunate he got injured obviously but he would have been a massive massive difference uh, for us that season as well and it showed in them games actually how big a talent he was and actually a lot of the lads he brought down from bigger clubs you could see the, uh, the level of quality was, was there just whether they could go and adapt quick enough to this type of football um, and in general most of his loans actually came off and did pretty well again pretty young still um, and he had to manage the wage bill as well still in the conference. We started a generally big wage bill considering for that league and had to manage that a little bit and this, that and the other. But I remember him, uh, it's quite funny actually, I remember him telling me a story once, I think I was ill and missed a game. I don't know when he pulled me in, it might have been in the week on a Monday or something. And he was like, Neil, I said, yeah. He said, how ill were you? I said, I was struggling, to be honest. I said, I was, you know, and he, he probably knew already see, I'm not the type to not play if, I'm, uh, if I can. And he's gone, and he's got Brian in the room. He always uses this. Brian, you know, when I was younger, when I was young, I used to struggle with hay fever, really bad asthma. And he said, um, I used to play with a blue inhaler in my sock. <laughs> and he said, he said, I'd run the channel, I'd cross it in, do whatever, I'd be blowing out my ass on the way back, jogging back in, I'd be smashing the blue inhaler just to be able to play football. And I was thinking, I was thinking, I get, I get it. I get the analogy then is that you've got to do everything, you've got to do everything possible to play. Um, and again, at the time, I still took that as like, right, fine, you're the guy that's done it all. Uh, if that's what needs to be done, I'll do it. And that was a case of, right, in the future, if I ever am ill, you know, his point was, is that you might lose your place in the team. Do you know what I mean? Mm. If, you, if you could play, play. Um, and I still stand by the fact that I was really ill, but um, <laughs> like the blue and halo analogy will always be there. <laughs> yeah, take it on board. They don't teach you that on the A, a license, do they, Neil? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a nice way of saying you can get on with it, isn't it? But there you yeah, go. yeah. <laughs> Risk and asthma attack was the worst that could happen.
Uh, listen, we're coming up to the time when you left Wrexham, so it seems a good time to ask you for your most fearless in devotion moment for the town. So this is something we ask all our guests, and it's a moment that filled them with the most sort of passion when they played for Wrexham. What comes to mind for you? Oh, it's a really difficult one to answer. I think one of my greatest moments was watching the Boston game. Um, the other day we stayed up mm. in terms of yeah. being a young kid on the side for that in the youth team then watching it and like the elation around the stadium and everything like that was like a moment that sticks in my head of like euphoria for the football club. But I've got to be honest, the fearless and devotion thing, I mean, we haven't really touched on him, but for me it was Joey Jones. I can't say how big an influence he was on me throughout the time there. And that was, and him in a nutshell is fearless and devotion to the football club is that the amount of time and effort he put in, you know, he'd have us tackling mannequins and heading mannequins and doing everything in terms of toughen us up and the pull-up bar outside Collier's Park and the weight sessions and the grounding that we got. Um, and all of this was from a guy who's given away his, what, 70, 80 caps for Wales because it doesn't really mean a lot to him, his medals and stuff. He's given them all away. Really, really humble fella um, who just drilled into us, really. Drilled into all of us when we were young. It's about competing, compete, compete, compete all the time. Um, and he was the one that sort of drilled it into me about you can't come off it, you can't be you know, non-competitive because you'll get left behind as a player. And I think um, for him, he epitomises Wrexham for me. So if that can be an answer, that'll be my answer. I think it's a very good answer. A very good answer. Can I just pick up though? Did Joey Jones get you headbutting mannequins? <laughs> I, 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 it's not headbutting mannequins. You'd be coming over the top of them heading balls. Oh, right. Okay, that's fine. We would yeah. now and again tackle mannequins. Yeah, you'd have to slide around and hook <laughs> balls around them and tackle them. But it was all about technique and learning and all that and... I mean, yeah. you can't slide tackle anymore now anyway, so that'd be dead. <laughs> um, I was going to say that explains your full red cards, mate. <laughs> yeah, five, yeah. yeah exactly. Five, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, Joey Jones is obviously such an iconic figure at the club. I mean, what was it about him that, you know, you, you've touched on a few things. He has a kind of aura about him, doesn't he, I think. Did, is that how everyone felt so when you were in the YTS? Yeah, I think for me, it wasn't just the awe about him, it was the humility in the fact that how he, how he probably wouldn't know it, but how he treated people, how, how the dinner lady mattered as much as the first team striker um, in the way he spoke to people, the way he stopped and spoke to anybody about Wrexham or Liverpool or Chelsea or whatever, the way he'd drive the minibus to away games at Stockport on a cold Sunday morning in December, you know, um, the way he treated every player the same, whether they looked like somebody who were never going to make it or whether they were the best player in the youth team. He always gave them a chance and tried to make a footballer out of them no matter what level they played at. And I'm guessing, I'm not sure if he ever would have, I don't think he's ever done a B or an A licence or a pro licence, but um, he knew the way to be to develop people and get the best out of people. And I think, um, yeah, for me, if, if I could sum them up, it's probably the humility of him that was uh, his best, best attribute. You then left Wrexham, obviously, at the end. I think you just came to the end of your contract. Was it Was it Brendan Rodgers that signed you for Swansea? Uh, I don't think it was, actually. It was Hugh Jenkins. I think the story goes oh. that we, um, I was, we were still with Dean Saunders at the time. Um, and then I was playing for Wales under-21s. And we played a game against Italy um, at the Liberty Stadium, uh, which is, I think, the first time we played at the Liberty, actually, as a 21s. But I played pretty well in the game. Um, and... Obviously, the, the Swansea hierarchy would have been watching the game because they probably got a few Swans kids in there as well in the team, um, including Joey and people like that. 
And yeah, I think it was off the back of that game and Alan Curtis being involved at Swansea and Wales 21s with Brian Flynn that it sort of culminated in me <clears throat> moving to Swansea. Hugh Jenkins brought me in. I mean, Paolo Sosa was the manager, but he, he literally moved that week I signed. He moved on to the next club and then Brendan Rodgers came in. So effectively, Brendan Rodgers was my first manager, but no, he wasn't the one that signed me. It was, it was the club, yeah. And how did you enjoy Swansea? You may have noticed I got a different accent to you lot. I'm from, I'm from Swansea. That's where I am now. Did you enjoy your time down here? I was going to say, I didn't even know you were Swansea. If you turn the camera off, I thought Jason Mohammed was doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, um, I think in, in, in general, I did know it was actually, but I think I loved it. I loved my time down there. My, my kids were born there. Um, and just a fantastic football. I, I was at such a great era. Um, of football at the time for Swansea. Brendan Rodgers is <clears throat> hands down probably the best manager I've had, obviously alongside Chris Coleman, but that's a different it's a different role um, in terms of being a, a Welsh national manager. In terms of actually club management, um, he's the best I've had by far. And I think um, <clears throat> what we did at Swansea, the couple of years we had there with him was obviously phenomenal for everybody. Seeing how it lift the city and lift the town and the area and everything was just yeah, it was great it was to, to be the first Welsh team in the Premier League as well and all that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic time. Definitely the twilight of my career, I suppose, in club football there. Um, but in terms of me, I've got big aspirations of being a coach and, and a manager. Um, as, as I said before, I started when I was 19, 20 in terms of wanting to coach. So if I was to sort of see somebody and how it's done, it would, it would definitely be Brendan Rodgers. Right, Neil, I've got a few quick-fire questions, uh, just whatever comes into your head. So during your time at Wrexham, who was the most skillful? Ooh, Andy Fleming. Oh, right. Whoa. New one. Remember Fleming? Yeah. yeah. Mark Jones is up there. Mark Jones is a fantastic player. Overall, he was terrific. Um, mm. Really could have played at a much higher level. Um, but Andy Fleming was extremely skillful, actually, yeah. No, right. Interesting. Probably didn't go as far as he could have then. Yeah, possibly not. I mean, Flemmo was another one. He left the same summer as me. Um, and he did move up a level or two, but never went on to, uh, to to do better things. And I'm not entirely sure. I didn't keep in contact with Flemmo, but in terms of actually being a footballer, he was very good. That was a huge, cool. huge um, tribunal thing, wasn't it? Was, was it with Morecambe or Atkinson Morecambe, wasn't it? Yes, and him both went by tribunal that summer, actually, yeah. yeah. Who was the worst dressed? At Wrexham? Yeah. Was, could it have been everyone? Going back here, lads. Um, <laughs> worst dressed? Yeah. Oh. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of some people I can help you out with. I, I, I can't imagine Steve Evans really does a lot of... Uh, Steve Evans weren't great. Um, I think Lee McEverly used to have a right go. I'm not sure how that went. Um, <laughs> Right. Mike, Mike, Michael Ingham. <laughs> Mike Ingham. Yeah, okay. We'll take that one. Yeah, Mike Ingham. The head. Yeah, we'll give it him. The head. He did have a massive head, didn't he? <laughs> right. Who was the biggest moaner? Oh. I'm up there, to be fair. Um, <laughs> let's You can say, go for yourself. Just from my early days, I'm going to go Daz Ferguson. Not necessarily, I didn't play with him, but to be around it and in the first team and hear it and how he was. I'm going to go Daz, but yeah. in a good way. A demander. That's what no, your drummer said. 
Yeah. Did he, he didn't say in a good way, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, who is the most underrated? Who didn't get the plaudits they, they probably should have? Problem is, mm. like, I played in so many different squads, but I've got to say, yeah. I think the, the thing is, Mark Jones was underrated in terms mm. of I think he should have played at the very top level. I think he could have at some point in terms of Championship and Premier League, but Jonah was a, a very homely lad. He wasn't an extrovert in any way and maybe didn't want that life and career, whatever. That's fine, mm. but... Um, no, no go for Jonah. Mark, I thought Mark Williams was really good. He was a really hard worker mm. as a striker and was underrated yeah. with the work he used to put in and stuff. I thought he was a bit, real good workhorse and big desire to win. So I think he was good. I think he got injured at the wrong time, didn't he? He was just on a red hot, yeah. red hot form, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay. Fi- uh, final one for this quick fire round is who is the tightest with money? It's obviously not Dean Saunders. <laughs> um, I could probably name a couple of Rex Amonas, can I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, who is the tightest with money? It's hard to be tight with money when you ain't got any anyway. Um, yeah. You're not wrong. I'm going to go for Lee Jones. Ooh. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So that's in terms of mentioned like, before youth team going into the 21s and stuff. Don't know why I'm saying him, but it springs to mind. In terms of the first team, I've got. Oh, do you know what? Silvio Span. There we go. He can have. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> I think no, so. that, that's an easy one. You, you know, you're never going to get any comeback on that one, are you, Neil? <laughs> no, true. Yeah, I'm going to go for Silvio. <laughs> I think Tim's definitely got some questions to ask you about Wales now, because obviously this rise you had with Swansea sort of coincided as well, didn't it, with sort of the resurgence of the Welsh national team, and you were obviously a big part of that. Yeah, exactly. It sort of went side by side. And I think, um, well, I guess it didn't go side by side. I guess as Wales, we didn't really come good till about 2014-50, where Swansea was probably 11, 12, 13 were the years that we did especially well. And I think, um, but yeah, it just came, it just came off the back of that and, Obviously, I went to the Olympics, which was a fantastic thing to do and a massive thing at that time of my career to go and do tournament football at big stadiums. and So that, that was a big moment for me as well. And then the down of obviously breaking my ankle and being out for a season and having that side of it. And then, and then yeah, the other side of it is then obviously Wales, which is you know a story on its own, I think, a podcast on its own maybe. Don't get Tim started on Team GB now, right? You'll start him off and he'll be yeah, going on about get, it for months. get that one, yeah. We'll just we'll just throw out the Gareth Bale bad back song. That that sums it all up. It's fine. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, but I think it, it was a massive thing. I remember the first game the cameras were on. It's are they going to sing the national anthem? We were like, obviously not, but, um, <laughs> but it was a case that you know the cameras directly. I think we were a bit stupid actually. I think me, Joe, and Bella stood next to each other, which made it a bit easy for them. But um, yeah, I remember it was like they're going to sing it, and then it became the story they didn't sing it. But of course we're not going to sing it, you know. But and I think the, the difference was as well, so no Scottish players were in it. Whereas I think if there was any that could have been or would have been picked, they would, the questions would have been to them as well. But instead, it was just us. So I think that made it even more difficult. But we had a little bit strength in numbers. I think there were five or six of us. So it made it a bit easy. But there's no way I would wish that I hadn't gone. It was, it was unbelievable. And they did promise us it was a one-off, which it has been, right, I guess. Yeah, I think they're on about bringing it full circle again, but we'll see. Um, yeah, who remind us who else was in that that team, and I'm just curious to see what the the dynamic of a GB football team is like because 
obviously you've got Bellas on your side. Nobody's really going to piss around when, when he's present. So. Well, Giggsy as well, yeah. Um, Giggsy, of course, yeah. Yeah, so at the time, so, so the squad was, I'm trying to remember it now, actually. In terms, did you want just the Welsh ones? No, I'm trying to remember, it was like... Well, I've got what I'm getting, I'm just curious if there was any ego clashes or if anybody, if everybody and anybody got on and they put all that sort of, that into, into sort of... No, I so the rules were, it was, it was mainly an under-23 thing, um, and then you could have three overage, I believe, or maybe four, three or four overage players. Because I remember they were trying to get Bex involved, weren't they? I don't know what happened, but it didn't, didn't happen for whatever reason. So I think the overage ones were Mika Richards, Craig Bellamy, Ryan Giggs, I believe. And then the rest of us was like Danny Rose, Ryan Bertrand, Stephen Corker, you know, from Swansea, um, Joey, Tom Cleverley, Scott Sinclair, obviously another one at Swansea at the time. Um, Myself, Marvin Sordell, Daniel Sturridge, Jack Butland, I think was in goal. Um, Bloody hell, I'm, I'm looking on Wikipedia now and you were absolutely naming every single one of these. <laughs> Who have I missed? I missed someone though. Tom Cleverley. Uh, so we got Craig Dawson, did you say him? Craig Dawson, Jack, yeah, yeah, of course. Jack, Jack Cork. Yeah. Uh, obviously Rambo. Uh, and Jason Steele was the other keeper. Jason Steele, that's it. I was trying to top, top the keepers up. Um, yeah, because you can only have, because it was Olympic stuff and that, they were really, honestly, it was a mad situation, but you could only have like one physio, one member of staff, one this, because you could, because what they were telling us was we would go into hotels, we were staying in hotels all around the country and there was like, you know, the airport security, they had them outside of hotels when we were going in. I'm thinking, what's, what's going on here? And they were saying, well, obviously, it's a similar problem you probably read about in Tokyo is that countries from sometimes third, third world countries would bring people in as physios who would then flee the hotels and, you know, try and claim immigration and stuff, which never crossed any of our minds. Um, But in terms of, you know, apparently that sort of stuff went on. So they had to regulate everybody and everyone who was in the squads and all that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, I didn't realise that sort of stuff happens, but people use it as a way to cross borders and stuff, apparently, because there's so many nations involved in the Olympics. That, that does happen, but I think it's it's actually just happened in Tokyo as well, hasn't it? A few stories, but um, so yeah, that, that was all going on. So all of that was like a massive circus. We couldn't leave the hotel and all that, and really weird. But in general, it's great to just be in a stadium where actually the whole stadium's for you. They're wanting you to win. It's not like a home and away team. It's like everybody wants you to win. So that was very different as well. Um, and then we were knocked out against uh, South Korea. Who I mean, we signed Key that sun, summer actually after them Olympics. Key Sung Young uh, at Swansea, but I mean they were the best penalties I've ever seen. We lost in the quarterfinals, I think it was. Yeah, it was. And um, Key actually told me in extra time they played for penalties. He said we knew how good we were at it. I was like, that's not a thing. You can't know you're good at penalties. But <laughs> he was like, no. And they honestly, it was like militant. The finishes were unbelievable. I don't know if anybody's got them on record, but they were really good. So they beat us in pens, yeah, which was good for Key because he got off military service. He said. He said, "By getting, oh, yeah. by getting oh, yeah. bronze, he got off. He got off the two years military service. He only had to do four weeks." <laughs> so I was like, "Oh yeah, no problem, mate. You're welcome." Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of the of the, of the, the Welsh involvement, um, I think your debut was 2010 to Croatia. Yeah, yeah, take Croatia us, away. Uh, yeah, take us back to that. Who was manager at the time? I can't remember the time. Yeah, it wasn't Speedy. So we was away with the. Under 21s with Brian Flynn. Um, he pulled a couple of us in, me, Mark Bradley, I'm trying to think a couple more, maybe. 
said, listen, the first team have had a load of pullouts again, basically, which was happening yeah. a lot around that time. Regular, yeah. um, and they need you to go up in the squad. So it was like, fine, Brian was saying, go up there, make an impression. You're the lads I've put forward who I think can go up there and this, that, the other. Great. We went, trained the day before the game at the stadium. I'm obviously in awe a little bit of the people who were there because I'm still at Wrexham at the time. Mm. Um, so all of these different players around and all that. And I remember Ashley Williams, obviously we're good mates, but he was like, who, the, who is this guy? Sherpy little, you know, and he was like, he, back then we were all like, oh, who is this lad here? Annoying us. I'm trying not to swear on the pod, but he, um, and he was basically, you know, he was just saying like, you're a bit of a lively character then, which is, I don't know whether I was trying to make an impression or whatever, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, and then I managed to get on for 20 minutes um, and I smashed Modric in a tackle, but he actually smashed me. We both went in. My ankle went up like a balloon, but I didn't come off. And I remember John Tosha actually saying to me afterwards, he was like, even the physio said how bad your ankle was and you still didn't come off. He said, he said, that goes down in my book pretty good. So he said, well done. And that was my debut, but you know, I ended up going home on crutches, I think, after my debut. But I, I loved every minute. Again, it was just me trying to make an impression. People like Modric on the pitch, all these fantastic players. Um, I, just, I just sort of enjoyed them scenarios, like the Wrexham games against Villa and Liverpool in pre-season after they won the treble and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, just, I just loved it, really. Yeah, I, mean, I think looking back, everybody... Credits the likes of Brian Flynn and John Toshak for for being the managers that started blooding those younger players to get into those sort of hostile environments like Croatia and so on and so forth, and to get them heavily invested in in, in sort of caps and experience. And then obviously, Speedo takes it on, comes to Coleman. So it's kind of like a gradual process. Were you aware of that early on? Was 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 it apparent? What what the the long term plan was, or was it a case of he's identified a group of players here who've clearly got talent, and it's just about trying to give them as much experience and exposure at the top level as, as much as possible? I think so. Obviously, again, I'm young and I'm not privy to the conversations, um, but I don't know whether they've maybe looked at it and gone, Do you know what, maybe this squad isn't good enough to do anything with the current crop um, in terms of doing anything big. Maybe we need to blood the young ones through. Um, whether we were a golden generation, or not, I'm not sure we were, but they were just bringing us through and that was Toshak's mantra in terms of to give maybe Wales a bit of success in the future was to expose them now a little bit and I guess it did in the end. Um, but everything we did there on after culminated in the fact that if I looked at the squad that probably played at the Euros, we were all at the highest level. We were all Premier League or Championship players, I think, um, bar none. And I think that was never the case with Wales. You know, um, I think people have talked about the fact, obviously I'm playing with Steve Evans at Wrexham and he's playing with Craig Bellamy who's at Man City from conference to Premier League. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's great, isn't it? What story? And I think that's a great scenario, but that's the difference in the level of football you're playing week in, week out. Uh, means that international football, you might always get the recipe you want. Um, and I think, because that, that's the key when you go to international football, all the managers are looking at what level are you playing at every week to be able to be coming and ready and do this. Um, I think disparity back then was huge between conference players, League Two, Premier League players in Giggsy and Bellamy and whatever. So I think um, it all came together. When we, when we were good and did well, we were all playing at the highest level. And a lot of us were playing regular football as well, which is a massive factor as well. I know we talk about everything that's done at Wales. What was happening at club level as well was a big thing. Yeah. And obviously, Gary Speed, um, we all know sort of legacies left 
just give us a, an idea where it was like playing under him because obviously he come in there was there was a the early early stages of it the results weren't great but you could see what he was trying to do early on trying to play a certain way trying to carry on what Tosh had done by putting his own stamp on it I think I think there was the early Nations Cups get, Cup game wasn't it in Dublin as well I think they were the early ones involving him what what was he I think from the outside looking in we all know what kind of person he was we all know he's a good player I mean is it, was there any anything more to him, like another layer to him as well? Because I imagine he strikes me as a sort of person who would know where the dividing line was between being a manager and not being your friend and being the person who needs to put his arm around the shoulder when he needs to. Yeah, I mean, first of all, a fantastic man. Um, can't believe it. I think it was the other month people were saying it's been 10 years, right, or something like that. And I was like, wow. Um, can remember where we were that day. But I think in terms of as a manager, he was... Um, he just had this aura about him. And do you know how I knew he had an aura? Because Craig Bellamy listened and sat down and took, and, and I mean that in the nicest way, is that Bellas had huge respect for him and you could see it and feel it. Um, and, and a character like Bellas, to be like that, you know this guy's, and he had an aura. If he walked into a room, he's got an aura. Chris Coleman's actually got a similar thing, um, hence why it worked pretty well. But I mean, Gary Speed captained every single football club he ever played at and was captain for most of the time he was there. That gives you an idea. He's captain, he's captain in Newcastle. Have a look at the squad there they had at the time. Um, so it gives you an idea of the type of man he was. He churned out football games. So again, another person, when he speaks, you listen. Um, and yeah, he changed everything. He changed absolutely everything. He was the first one to go into detail, uh, real detail in terms of how football had moved forward um, and how we were probably doing it at a club level. So like under Brendan Rogers, we'd have been doing this detail, whereas probably previously international level, John Tosh was still doing it a slightly different way, maybe the older methods that he's always had to deal with. That was the time sports science was coming in. Um, and, and Gary really, really jumped on it. He used it. Um, and, and for me, it was great as well. He made me feel like I was the left back for Wales. I played a lot for him. I think I played most of the games he was in charge. Um, by his last one, I think I was injured. Um, and he, he, again, was going with youth and he had a lot of faith in the squad we had. Obviously, people like Gareth and Aaron becoming really, really big players at the time. Um, but in terms of a man and the detail he started putting in day-to-day and week-to-week just went up a notch. And um, and I think it was starting to show. It really was starting to show, obviously, before that, that, that fateful day. But I think, yeah, who knows what would have been with him. But, um, yeah, a fantastic man. And I knew his lads as well because his lads were at Wrexham, so I knew them. I'd seen them a lot. Um, whilst I was obviously coaching in the evenings, he'd be there. So I sort of still remembered him from that time when he used to come and take his kids and everyone was like, you know, that's Gary Speed and a you know, big figure. So, yeah, he, he was a big influence on Welsh football. And, um, yeah, it was obviously a sad time. But we, what we did afterwards, hopefully, was a, a fitting legacy. Yeah, I mean, that kind of brings me on to it. I mean, you know, obviously it was a massive tragedy. Nobody expected um, it came out of the blue. A lesser group of players with perhaps a more fragile mentality might have crumbled, might have dropped off the radar, might never have played again. It happens. Is that testament to that group and what he what he moulded that you and the you and that squad, along with with Cookie taking on on the mantle and eventually doing it in his way? Is that testament to the sort of the sort of the sheer bloody mindedness of that group to say, you know what, 
yeah, we'll do it for him, but we've got to do it for ourselves as well. And it, it seemed to me that the mental strength of those players, especially in that qualification, 2016 qualification, as well as the results, I just think it, it shone well above and beyond of a lot of other normal qualities of a football, if that makes sense. Yeah, possibly. I think go, when you go on a couple of years, I think if you talk about crumbling, I think we were crap for probably 18 months after. Um, we weren't great. And I think obviously Chris Coleman came in, he was open about the fact that it was difficult. You know, not, I think with management, it's not many managers follow successful managers. You know, it very rarely happens. You're normally, you're normally following someone who's failed. That's why I've got a job. Um, yeah. But he hadn't, he was doing so well. So Cookie had to come in and he had to manoeuvre his way through in terms of, right, what do I do? Because these lads have been enjoying what they were doing. They were playing really, really well. But I have a different, different slant on this, but I've got to be careful and tentative and with their emotions and this, that and the other. Obviously, the whole thing of captaincy and taking it from Aaron and giving it to Ash. Like, when do you do that? When is that okay? You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think, you know, for, for I think about 18 months, we weren't great. I think, obviously, the Serbia 6-1 result was a turning point. But Cookie sort of went, all right, okay, listen, we are, we're slipping back to the doldrums here a little bit. I'm going to start doing it my way. Um, and he did, and credit to him. And you've got to remember it as well, he, he's lost a, a good mate as well amongst all of that. So, um, so yeah, I think it definitely did affect us for a little while. Probably didn't know it at the time. Then it came back around um, and Cookie got us all going again and, of course, found the famous formation that we adopted for the next few years. Uh, and I think that was one of the biggest things that catapulted us to, uh, to actually go and do well. I think you are essentially the catalyst and springboard for that 2016 qualification because if we go back to that Andorra game, first match, did you concede yeah. the penalty? Yeah, never been a pen, has it? But uh, yeah, it's one of them. Oh, God, he's given it. But yeah, I mean, in, fa- in fairness, I just remember it being a horrific night. We trained on the pitch the day before. We were like, oh, God, this ain't going to be good. You know, passing the ball five yards was, and the ball just wouldn't stay on the floor. Um, it was bobbling up everywhere. And the, you know, the black stuff that's in the 3G. That's supposed to be like rolled and brushed and supposed to be pretty flat and this stuff wasn't. Um, worst part about it is across the road there was a nice green football pitch made of grass but anyway. Um, so yeah, so it started off terribly and then uh, started with me to go on. Gareth scores um, some great goals and pulls us out of the shit so I think um, yeah, it was uh, it ended up being the catalyst yeah, 100%. Could have gone another way for sure. I mean, as you said before, we could do a completely separate podcast for the Wales aspect, but at what point in that in that qualification campaign did you think, you know what, we're there now? I mean, because for me, I, I thought it was Cyprus away when that header goes in. I thought, we're just on the cusp now, but that yeah. header is such yeah, a defensive yeah. display. But what, what was the moment you thought, you know what, I think, I think, we, I think we're, we're there or thereabouts, just because everything was going to plan, you know, the... the just hard to beat, and if you had to beat, and you've got a, a match win like like you know Bale on the side, then anything's possible. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you probably you, you bang on probably Cyprus game. Um, you probably never count your chickens because we're Wales, right? So you never know. But mm. I think at the end of the day, that was that was sort of the moment where you're like, wow, yeah, we're now winning these tough away games on dry pitches in hot countries, um, which is which is where you really show your metal. And again, talking about that campaign, like we had everybody fit for every game. Made a massive difference even to our World Cup qualifying after the Euros. Uh, we didn't have everybody all the time. And I think as a nation, we need that. Um, and we had it all the way through that campaign. And that, that was a massive, massive moment. But like you said there, I think when you talk about hard to beat, we were just, um, 
I'd step out of the pitch with them, them players and I never, ever thought we were going to lose a game. And you have that very few times in your career. You know, at Villa, at Villa we, we broke the record when we got promoted, winning 10 in a row. And, and that was a similar feeling. Where it's like we're going to go out today and it's just a case of how many we're going to win by or whatever, you know, in terms of you have that invincible feeling as a team. And we had that at the time then. Um, and it helps again, of course. We're talking about having probably one of the, he's probably in the top three of best players in the world, wasn't he, at the time, Gareth? So mm. when you've got that in your armory and the other team knows it as well, so it doesn't matter. Again, when you're playing other small nations that are similar to ourselves, well, actually, we've got a couple of players who are really, really good. And that makes a big difference, I think, in terms of mentality, psychology going into games. So, yeah, I think it, it all culminated in, uh, in you know, obviously that night in Bosnia. Then. So before we get to Russia and dissecting <laughs> that goal and the disbelief and everything else, <laughs> um, <laughs> take us to, to Bordeaux because, you know, you've, You've you've lived through it. You've 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 been a fan. You, you've come through the ranks. You've seen Wales basically transition from has-beens and, and and sort of non-entities, you know, largely under a fairly unprofessional regime prior to maybe Toshak there or thereabouts. It's come full circle. You're in that stadium. You walk out. You see. Oh, I think it was a twenty thousand. Wales fans there must have been. I mean, just just take us to that moment because I mean, obviously it must have been one of one of your proudest moments in your career, presumably. But just just as a, as a moment in time, yeah, it's just 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 on a, just on a human level, right? Put football yeah. aside, I think um, it was just a fantastic feeling. It was just Bordeaux in general waking up, pulling the curtains back, everyone steaming, falling out of bars. It's ten in the morning. What's going on here? <laughs> all the Welsh fans are all over the tram lines and. They're everywhere, right? They're all everywhere. And I just think, like, you're wondering whether they knew we were in this hotel or what's going on. We went for our, you know, usual, like, school trip walk around that footballers do before games. They go for a walk holding hands. But I think um, we did that and the Welsh fans were everywhere. Um, and it was just it was just brilliant, real buzz around it. And you think, wow, this is a tournament. This is tournament football. This is where we wanted to be. Um, and then, obviously, that national anthem was just like a a wow moment, a moment that still, every time I hear the anthem now, whether it's rugby, whatever it is, it's just a moment of like, oof, wow, takes you back there. And I think, um, yeah, it takes you back to even when I was like 13, 14, learning the national anthem, you know, and I remember teaching it to Howard Robson Carno as well a couple of years later, I think we might have been in the under 21s, teaching him how to sing it and the words to it and trying to teach the kids now, they know how to say it, but they've no idea how to read it anyway. But um, I think, yeah, just a massive moment and then, even there on, everybody says we've got the best national anthem. You know, everyone claims they have, but then when they go, oh yeah, Wales, yeah, you've got the best. Now, quite, quite a few players have said that to me, even even the foreign players. So I think in terms of a moment, that um, that national anthem, it didn't do us any favours. We started terribly in the game, but um, I think, yeah, that, that was a massive moment for, for everyone. Did um, did Hal nail the uh, anthem under your tutelage? Did he get no that? idea? I don't think he, he's not a, like a belt it out one anyway, like a few of us. So, <laughs> um, he might have, but a lot of footballers are really good at miming, right? Anyway, so you got a rich tenor voice of you. Are you one of the choristers in the in the group? <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. Actually, he's a no. I don't think so. A few mm. obviously singing a bit quieter, like Joey and Aaron and Hal and mm. people like that. I probably am a little bit loud. Yeah, Chesie is a quiet one as well, but. Yeah, I'm probably louder than most. I think I remember, I didn't even know at the time, but I remember watching it back on um, on camera and I have like a little moment when the anthem stopped. 
I sort of looked down, tapped my chest with the bat to sort of like have a deep breath to, to sort of compose myself. And when you look along the line, everyone's doing a similar thing. So I think um, it shows you what a bit of a moment that was. Um, we didn't even realise we were on camera, but yeah, we all had a bit of a moment, I think, between us. Let's um, let's let's gloss through the England game. I don't think we need to to go overboard about that. Yeah, one. when they replayed it last summer as well, I just for some reason it wasn't on, was it? So uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just gloss straight past it. Yeah, let's gloss over that one. So take us to Toulouse. Um, <laughs> probably, well, I don't know. I, I think it's got to be one of the best Wales results performances of all time, especially performance. Matches the result it could have been more. Yeah, I mean, just take us take us back to that that time. Obviously, Rambo. To my goal of the tournament, or just the game in general? Well, no, your your goal your goal of the tournament because didn't it could didn't it come to you by way of a deflection from what I remember from the top of my head? I'm sure yeah, it comes it up back with Gaz, didn't they? Which I wasn't entirely sure of. I couldn't see it properly at the time from where I was. I'm thinking, what are you doing that far up the pitch? What's going on? You know, I'm always there. It's just people don't realise that I'm usually down the side chasing balls out of play. That's that's how high I am. I'm never usually <laughs> in on goal. Um, but I think, yeah, literally, it just it came through to me. I wasn't sure at the time. So obviously, I'm thinking if this is off gas, I'm 100% offside. But um, played on, tried to square it for Vokes. He was never catching me up. So I tried looking for him, tried to slide it through to keep his legs. And then I'm just double fortunate the ball's come back to me overnight and put my foot through it a second time. and yeah, I got a bit of a ribbon for that. Even in the uh, in camp, it was played up on a on a big screen a couple of times just to take the piss out of me. So, well, you know, <laughs> mainly, mainly my reaction afterwards. Um, and then yeah. side, which I, I I thought was pretty casual. People have gone, no, you've gone for the light. If 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 you could verbalise in football, if you could verbalise or put a speech bubble to that reaction, what would it be? Because but, I think uh, I think Esther, I think Esther might have actually done it on Wales camp, put a speech bubble on that, but. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I can't, I can't explain it. Um, it's not something I do often, is it? Scoring goals. It's not a big, yeah. massive thing for me. So to actually do it there was obviously a really good feeling looking back on. It's something great for my kids. That's what I think in terms of, I don't know if you notice as well, the kids were on the pitch a lot after games and we kept getting fined as an FAW for doing it, but we just kept doing it anyway. Um, and, you know, for my kids and stuff like that, to see back these stuff on YouTube and stuff, I think, yeah. It's great for stuff like that. Um, being able to score one. I mean, I'm sure Gaz's kids have got a few more highlights for them to watch. But <laughs> but the but the Grey's Athletic goal is on YouTube as well, and it's a better finish. So don't forget it. It's a good finish, actually. Yeah, the triple XL shirt as well. But there triple we are. <laughs> I think you had posted by for one of the Wrexham shirts. Remember the Umbro one? I remember you. They took a load of pictures of you, and you looked quite quite shy and timid in that picture. <laughs> from what I remember. It's the no beard, isn't it? We all go from like a. <laughs> so what's the future hold for you what are you looking towards obviously you've said coaching but you're not ready for that yet you've still got another, no, another no, contract obviously I've just left Villa um, so I'm weighing up at the moment what to do next I'm still going to play I've got a couple more years in me football's definitely become an, an extremely young man's game uh, I remember Leighton Baines saying it a couple of years ago in terms of football, is just looking for young, young players now in terms of uh, future growth and what they could be worth in a few years and what you can produce as, in terms of a business side of things. Um, but I'm definitely going to play for a couple more years. There's no better job in the world to do. 
Um, so, and I've still got that hunger and the fire still burning. If it wasn't, I wouldn't kid myself and carry on. But, um, but it is. So I still want to play. Um, obviously, I'll be 33 this season, so it'll take me a couple more years. But like I said, I've done my A licence and go from there, really. I don't think you can really plan your future um, too much. Things pop up and crop up at different times and opportunities. So you just got to take them as they come. A bit like when you're a footballer, you've got to take the opportunities when they come. Otherwise, it'll pass you by. So I think that'll be the case for me hopefully in, in a couple of years' time if I go into coaching. And can I just say thanks for, the, for your times at Wrexham, thanks for the times at Wales, but can I most say thanks for the 10% sign-on, uh, sorry, sell-on fee that we got for you, which paid for a few players a couple of couple of years down the line. Was it 10% or was it more than that? Excellent. Well, no, it was. It might have been more than that, but I had to check as well because it was a swap deal, wasn't it? Um, I had a swap deal with Andre Ayew. No, did, yeah. with Jordan A to go from Villa to, and because it was a swap deal, but with money involved, yeah. I was having to check and I sort of did say, listen, there's a sell on here for Wrexham. I think they probably waited years for me to be sold for anything. Um, <laughs> to get script, and apparently it's still, I think it still does go through as two transactions. So yeah. it still happens, I think. So, yeah, so there was, it was, because at the time as well, Wrexham were, were really, really cheap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, it looks very different now, right? Which is great. So Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, I mean, you know, obviously you know what it's like. Uh, you know, I know what it's like being in Swansea, being very jealous of my mates and most of my granddad's dislike. I'm not a Swans fan, obviously, but a lot of my family, I, I've inherited Wrexham from my dad. But you've seen how much it lifts uh, a town. In terms of the takeover now, is it is it talked about? You play at the top level. Do the players talk? Have they talked about it? Is it something that comes up? Because it's such, such a bizarre situation. It is, yeah. Of course it comes up. I mean, we live in a world of 24-hour news, right? So you can't miss anything now. Um, but I think, yeah, obviously it happening. First thing for me was just brilliant. The club needs it. The club needs an injection of energy and positivity. And I was speaking to my mate the other day. He's, he's, he's getting a season ticket. Two of my mates get season tickets. So, you know, they're going to be back down there and I'm seeing about the people queuing around the corner to get tickets now. It's brilliant. I'd love to see it back. Full capacity. People are able to go on the cop end and what it does for the town and the area and all that stuff, I think uh, it's great. And obviously, they've made some great signings already, so they're obviously wanting to do something um, special. So, yeah, I look forward to it. Fingers crossed. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it as well. Just need a couple of midfielders in, though, but that's, uh, that's a discussion for another day. Um, Neil, thank you so much for your time. Hang on, hang on. Uh, Neil, Neil Taylor used to play centre mid. Just just putting that hey. out there. I did, yeah. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Back in the yeah. day. He's not saying no. He's not saying no. <laughs> there we go. It'll be, be the Daily Post tomorrow now. Here we are. Does... <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, thank you, Neil. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really, really interesting in talking to you, and uh, we really appreciate it. No, you're welcome, lads. Thank you. Hope it goes all right. Cheers. Thanks very much, mate. That was our chat with Neil Taylor. What a good guy and uh, interesting man. Um, some great stories there. Uh, anyway, time for predictions now. Uh, Andy, what's the scores on the doors? Oh, this is bad news in Andy Gilpin Towers. So after after the two two games in three days, the scores are as follows. Tim Edwards managed to get both of the predictions spot on. A 2-0 victory 
a 2-0 mm. victory. No one likes to see Tim happy. Um, <laughs> a 2-0 victory and a one all draw. Uh, Reese, you got the results right, but not the scores. Do I get and... a point, for extra point for margin of victory? No, no, of course you don't. Okay. Always, I, I would have wanted it last season. And Liam, yes, you got another one spot on. So, right, in reverse order, bringing up the rear is Andy Gilpin with a big fat zero, <laughs> followed by Reese Williams with four. Liam Randall is sitting pretty with nine, but Tim Edwards has spooked the last two results and has ten points. Oh, can, I, can I just say on that on that note, um, Liam Randall was at the game last night. I saw him, and he was definitely wearing a red TikTok. Sorry, you're shirt. breaking up. Hang on. Sorry, the signal's just gone at uh, Broughton Shopping Park. Okay, all Even I'm saying is shopping near Chester. All I'm saying is your Twitter handle has to change. That that was one well, of. The... I I, okay. I, I, I try to sort of smooth it a bit to say, look, Gilpin is going to be absolutely gunning for you unless you do this forfeit. So, with that in mind, he should still wear the Chester shirt, but on an occasion where the mighty town are well far away and Liam can't leave his young family for that length of time, he should go to an alternative Chester home match, resplendent in his Chester top, so he blends in perfectly, and then gives us a bit of an undercover report about actually how awful they are, and then it's a winner-winner. He still does it. He's still going to feel dirty and a little bit, you know, like, like a piece of him has died, but we get something from it as well. So I it's think content, that, yeah. And you know, I can do that. Yeah, we, we're we're always in the market for content. Who readily agreed to that? Who readily agreed? Liam is a Chester fan. Anyway, he's got he's got to tear it off upon the final whistle and reveal a, a lovely Wrexham Lager shirt, and then he has to run off down Bumpers Lane laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Wrexham Lager, yeah. there was no there was no Wrexham Lager in the Wrexham Lager stand. At least you got in on Monday. But at least I got in, which was good. Um, I was very pleased. Um, anyway, um, where are we? Yeah, let's let, well let's should we go in in um, winners to losers orders, Andy? So it gives you a chance to see what everyone's well, done. No, I've I've done a new order. So for the next three, <laughs> Tim Edwards is going to go first. So what's your prediction for South End away? South End. Ah, see they're having a stinker of a season. I, I just feel that like they're going to have to go a little bit better. I think we're going to have a... I think we're going to draw one each. Right. Yeah. I'm going to go next, and I'm going to go for a 3-1 victory for the Dragons. I think Hazana is going to click, and we are going to praise him. Reese, you're up next. This is a really tough one. Um, I, I think we might click as well and we might sneak a win there. Um, a part of me wants to emotionally hedge this and go for a draw. So I'm sort of got some happiness either way unless we lose, obviously. So I think I'm going to... No, no, we're going to win it. We're going to win 2-1. 2-1. 2-1 win. Finally, the wrapped and cheat that is Liam Randall. <laughs> I'm not just doing this to troll you, Andy, but uh, I was going to go for 3-1 as well. Just okay. because I fancy our chances. I'm, I'm, I'm going to change, I'm gonna change <laughs> my prediction. Whoa. I'm going to change it. Um, I was going to go 2-1 before Reese shoehorned that one in. Balls to it. I'm going to go 2-0. Oh, 
it's going to all of a sudden three draws and a win doesn't look great. So I think we need we need to get back to to a win. So yeah, I'm going to go two no Wrexham actually. Yeah. All right, Liam, still on you. Yeah, well, I am. Well, do I have to go different to you? No, go the same. Yeah, if you want to do me over, which you obviously do, Liam. Liam's gone, so let's take his three one as red. Okay. Right, finally, before we go, can I just say that we'll be selling uh, the Fearless and Devotion fanzines outside outside the ground in South End. We'll also be selling them on the train, in a pub in Liverpool Street. If I see someone on the tube in a Wrexham shirt, they're going to get a fanzine pushed under their nose. So me and Reese are on the hard sell yeah, this weekend. We are indeed. I was a salesman in a, in a, in a past life, kind of, not really. Mobile phones. Mobile phones, cars. Oh, he's back. <laughs> he's back. <laughs> um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, but also, you should say, Andy, if you can't get it, uh, if you're not going to be at South End, um, we will be selling them again at the Woking game. However, you can buy one right now in two clicks. Two clicks. Fearless.wales. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you very much for downloading and listening once again. Got a more, more good guests lined up for you. And thank you once again for all your feedback. Uh, Shitey Heroes will be back next week. Sorry for the delay, ladies and gents. It will return, we promise, in the next podcast. Um, but until then, ta-da. Cheers. Bye. Ta-da. See you. The bright Bye-bye. coast, Anna. Bye.